as they're going and um, as the teachers are being, uh, getting ready to be prepared to teach them as well, let's ask that the Holy Spirit teach us the things from his word that he wants us to know today. Dear Holy Father, thank you for your truth. As we just sung, that we thought we knew the way. We thought that we knew how to find true life, but it only led to a grave. Help us now to have our eyes opened. Help us now to see the true path that you have us for to follow. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for the way that it shines light even into the darkest soul. In your son's powerful name we pray, amen. Last week, if you were here with us, we spent some time, Pastor Chuck was explaining the snapshot that we saw in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through the end of the chapter. And this Luke is giving us a quick snapshot of what's going to be developed. And we talked about when you see a picture, you get to see it, and then someone who's able to give more life, who can explain to you all the things that are going on behind that picture and that scene. And what we're going to see today is that snapshot of what the early followers of Christ were doing, we're going to see that come alive. And in a couple of ways, if you look there in Acts chapter 2, you'll see even in verse 46, Luke is showing how this group went to the temple. And they went to the temple and they met in homes. Well, today we see Peter and John going to the temple. You see also in that same text, you see in verse 43, that many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. And today we see signs and wonders being brought to light of what are these signs and wonders that are being talked about as well as we see in the same text there in verse 43, that awe and wonders coming upon those who are seeing what these early followers of Christ are doing. And we see today, what is that awe and wonder? How did, what did it bring about? And we see it becoming alive. And we see, as you would almost call it, it's, it's the rest of that skeleton picture now starting to become alive in front of us. And this snapshot we see today and what we see in this text today is things happening in the physical realm. But then Peter, what he's going to do is peel back and expose the real power, the real need, and what was going on that you may not have seen if you were just standing there, but Peter's going to bring illumination to what is going on far more than what's just happened in the physical. And we think of our own lives, how many times in our own lives we we can see things happening here on earth, but if God were to open our eyes to see all the things going on, all the power, all the things happening, how would it affect and change your own life? I think as I was uh, mulling through this, there's, there's one story in my own life that just comes screaming out in front of me as I think about this, try to make a short story not too long. I'm heading down on my bike one, one evening, and it was getting a little too dark that I should probably not have been on my bike at that time without having lights, but I was heading down into the Bigfoot area, beach area, and there was, I was going down the hill, so I was moving pretty quick because you're at that, I really need to get home, so I need to battle faster, which, you know, those things can kind of conflict when you're in the dark, and a car is coming up out of Bigfoot Beach and turns right in front of me because they don't see me. And the first thing that goes through my mind is, am I going through the passenger window or where am I going to do this? Because in my mind, I'm going, I'm waiting for the, the hit to happen. I grab my front brakes, the front wheel sticks in the ground, and the back wheel starts to turn sideways. And as it's turning sideways, I'm going, I'm waiting just now to be thrown off my bike, you know, thinking, okay, now I'm landing instead of going face first into the car. 
And as that happens, my bike turns sideways, it goes back again like this, and I'm past the car. I still to this day don't know how I went like that. I could tell you everything that physically happened, but I know without a shadow of doubt there was far more going on there than in the physical realm because it was not my time to meet the Lord in eternity yet. And so as we dive into this passage, we're going to see what's happening with our own eyes, but Peter's going to go, brethren, he's going to say multiple times, let me show you what is going on here. So let's dive into the text here and see what's happening. Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10 is the first section here, and we're going to see some needs interacting with each other. What is the need and what is the real need going on? And we're going to find out through this text here that Jesus is the real need. So let's hop in. So Peter and John are going to the temple at the hour of prayer. It's important. We see, notice, they're still spending time praying. They understand the importance of the temple, and they're going to the temple to pray. And on the way there, they, they come across a lame man. And notice what Luke shows. This lame man was lame from birth and literally even had to be carried to where he's at. So this man is not just could drag himself there. He is completely helpless unless others step in and help. And it's not that as if he was healthy at one time and then got injured. He literally was this way from birth. And Peter, who, remember, has the Holy Spirit now, stops. He doesn't pass by. He's not concerned with, you know, in the Tim Yorgi world, 10 minutes ahead of time is still five minutes late type of deal that he's on his way to prayer meeting and he's got to pray. He doesn't have time to deal with anybody else on his way. Peter stops and he pauses and notice what Peter does. He says to the man, look at me. The man's crying out for gold. He's crying out for silver. Peter could have, if he, if he had it, and we would have just gone here, toss it in and keep moving on. Now the guy's got his daily bread and all these other things like that. But no, Peter stops. He doesn't treat the man as a nuisance. He pauses at that moment of his life and says to the man, look at me. I care about you. I care enough to stop and say, let's interact because you are an individual. You are a person that's created in the image of God, and I care. You, if you think about, as Pastor Gabe went through his, in the beginning of Acts, as we were talking about what God said to the apostles that they would be. Remember, he said, you will be my witnesses. You are a witness. You're either doing a good job of witnessing or you're doing a bad job of witnessing, but you're always witnessing of me. And he said, you'll be my witnesses, not just in Jerusalem, not just in Judea, Samaria, but to the ends of the earth. Now, if I, when I, as I put myself and I think through this, if someone were to tell me that I was a witness to the ends of the earth, in my mind, I would start already telling, figuring out what that meant. And in my mind, I'd be so busy to figure out what that meant that I would pass by some of these smaller situations that are going on around me because in a way, I have bigger fish to fry than a lame cripple who's by the temple gates. I would have a bigger mission. And what we see here is Peter stopping. And if you know, as those of you who have been at Calvary for a while, we see Peter in the mission that they have been told that they are on, seeing a starfish and stopping and making an impact on one life at one time 
We're going to see what takes place after that. Because if we're not careful, we can be so busy about the things of God that we miss the things of God. And so what we see here in this text is Peter and John stop. We see them truly caring. We see them understanding what the need is. Peter looks at the man. Now, most likely, I don't know if his legs are going to be covered or not, but he's most likely you could tell the atrophy from the waist down. Uh, the commentators as they're talking about this, they were saying as you look at the text, it makes it sound as if that we had a paralytic situation here, um, that he was paralyzed from the waist down. And that being the case, if you think about that, we're talking now completely atrophied muscles, muscles that were never functioning Nerve endings that maybe had never had nerves moving through them. Joints that never moved. And you know, if any of you have been in a cast for too long, you know how hard it is to move one joint that's just been sitting there for a couple of weeks, let alone your whole life. And Peter stops and he looks at them. And he says this, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now, Peter is not giving us the Christian form of abracadabra. All right, you know how when the, the musician says abracadabra and as if abracadabra had the power in it in and of itself, all right? What he's doing is saying, where does the real power come from? Where, where is the real source of this coming from? I am just a servant. I am just a minister of the real. And so what we see here is in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And you say, why did he add the of Nazareth part? Why not in Jesus Christ? Well, remember now, those who came from Nazareth were not highly esteemed. Remember in John 1 where Philip hears that Jesus is of Nazareth and he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, really, those people? He was despised. Peter, I believe, is showing that, look, the rejected one, the one who was rejected even while he was here, and we're going to see how he's rejected now, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the one whom, in all earthly speaking, would be one that was lowly and not very highly esteemed. And now he says, rise up. But he doesn't just say rise up. The power of this miracle is not just enough for the guy to stand up, but it's actually to start moving, it's to start allowing muscles that never fired, nerve endings that never went, joints that never moved, start moving, and it's an immediate. immediate. It is not just, hey, slowly he starts going. And we know it's immediate because he stands, he walks, and then literally the muscles contract strong enough to cause him to leap. This miracle is not one in any way, shape, or form that someone can go, I doubt that happened. Because it's literally happening right in front of us. Bones and joints and muscles that never moved are now moving. Dead is becoming alive. And you can't hang on that too long until you start thinking about your own salvation how I had a heart of stone. And it wasn't until God's power came into my life that that heart of stone became a heart of flesh. And passions that were so against the things of God are now turned towards the things of God. Desires that were enmity against God are now towards God. And Ephesians 2, 5, when I think of this, comes to mind, even when we were dead in our sins, in our sins. He made us alive with Christ. By grace we are saved. And then what is the response of the one that has been healed? He says, hey, thanks guys, and leaves. 
No. It's continual jumping. It's jumping and leaping and praising God. This, this concept that goes, he doesn't even know what to do with this new given strength. He can't contain himself. It is just overflow of what just happened to him. Seeing his real need. Because the man at the beginning of the day thought his real need was just to get enough gold and silver to get enough bread so he could make it through the, to the next day. And yet his life was completely changed when Peter speaks those words into him. Rise up and walk. The real need was Jesus. And so the question that I have to ask myself continually is this. Do I see what is really going on? Do I see the real need? Am I moved to stop and help? Do I see past the, hey, here's just some gold and silver, now move on? Do I pause at those moments, or am I so busy with my life, so busy with the things that I have to supposedly do that I miss those opportunities that God has laid in front of us? One of the things in my own life, right now there's an individual that I've been calling and giving some encouragement for in the mornings, and the person has been thanking me, thank you for giving me a call. And the other day after I got off the phone, in my mind I go, so does this mean... I'm calling them every day until either one of us dies. Like, how do you stop calling someone and praying for them in the morning? And in my own mind and heart, I go, wait a minute, those are opportunities that God has given me, and I, am I following the Lord enough to know when, when to continue, when to not? And these are questions that we wrestle with many times. And am I just thankful that God is using me and being faithful in that situation at that moment? Or, Tim, stop thinking about tomorrow. Let's be faithful today. And God will make it clear about tomorrow, and we keep moving on. What we see here is, do I see the real needs of others? And then Peter, by, by God healing him, has been given this amazing opportunity. But we have to make sure, was before we get to the next point where Jesus being this real power, we have to make sure we understand, Peter, the one who denied Christ, the one who was literally in roughly in the same situation, and denied that he even knew Christ, is now claiming to do things in Jesus' name. This is the concept. We need to make sure we understand he is in the lion's den, if you want to call it. Because when he gives even the analogies of what he's explaining about, not the analogies, when he's describing what Jesus did on, when he was here, he's summarizing and he's saying, you, you saw this, you did this, you, you, and as you would say, this is not the thing that you are going to win friends and influence people with. Speech that he's about ready to do, sermon that he's about ready to bring about. But notice what he does first, though. This man is clinging to Peter and John, and all the people are running, and they're going, what's going on here? This lame man that we all knew about now is up leaping, and he's jumping. And so no one says, hey, I think that miracle is a fake. They turn and they look at Peter and John, and they're staring at him like, who are you guys? Because Peter says, why are you looking at us? like that, as if it was by my own power or by my own piety or godliness that this happened. Yet, he goes on to say, men of Israel, why do you wonder, why do you stare as though by my own power or my own piety we made this man walk? There's no way we could have done this. By my own strength, I can't do this. Peter is understanding that he is an instrument in God's hands. 
I don't know if any of you have tools or anything like that sitting around your house, but one of the things I have, I have these uh, chiseling um, tools, and I could put my chiseling tools next to a block of wood and expect the two of those things just to figure out how to carve a duck. But it doesn't work until you actually have someone who has been trained or the master to grab the tools and start chiseling away. The tool has no use unless it is in the hands of someone who has to use it. And what Peter is saying, I am just a tool that God is working through. It is not my own strength. It would be just as ironic if Peter would say it was my own strength that did this, would be a paintbrush to take credit for the painting. It doesn't happen that way. But Peter sees himself as being a tool being used by God. So Peter stops and he addresses the crowd that's gathering. And he's about ready to share with them the gospel. He's about ready to share with them the real message, where the real power came from. And I ask my own self this as well. It would be great if I could right now hop on a plane, fly, fly to Times Square, get into Times Square, find one of the guys that's begging there, heal him, wait for everybody to come together, all the TV cameras on Tim, and then share the gospel. I mean, that would be phenomenal. And we sit here and we say to ourselves, well, miracles do happen. We know they happen today. But are there opportunities in my ebb and flow life where crowds are gathering for me to share the gospel? Because I may have to wait a little bit longer for a miracle to happen than right now. But do, miracles do happen, but we call them miracles for a reason because they don't happen every day. All right, and so Peter uses this miracle, though, to share the gospel. But how am I using the situations in my life to share the gospel? And where we live in the United States now with a culture that does not accept God, they either believe God is irrelevant or there is no God, one of the areas where they gather is when they can't explain things. And the areas that they can't explain is when they're faced with their own mortality or when they see violence that they can't explain either. And then the crowd gathers, and then the crowd starts to talk, and then this crowd's saying, how did this happen? How did this happen? And are we there to share the gospel? Are we there to say, listen, here's the gospel that shines light into this lost and dying world. We have the crowds gather multiple ways in our society, but are we bold, just like Peter, to go into, as you would call it, the mouth of the lion's den here and share the truth? So what we see here again, this miracle being done, not by Peter's own strength. And he goes on to explain the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, the God of Isaac, the God of our fathers glorified his servant whom you delivered over. And then he summarizes what took place around Jesus' death because these people that are standing in front of him either were eyewitnesses of it or they heard about it. And he summarizes and he says, listen, the one whom you crucified, the one who was the author of life, who has been raised from the dead, is through his name this power took place. And if you think about it for a moment, where we're going to move next, the people are going to start going, wait a minute, if he's alive, if we truly killed the author of life, what does that mean about me? And we take a moment to pause in our own lives and we start to understand what Peter is saying here. He's saying that nothing was done without the power of God. 
Peter is saying the miracle came through him, through faith, by the power which Christ works. All the glory goes back to God. It is not any of my own glory. It is all the glory goes back to God. And so we ask ourselves again, am I trying to do things in my own strength? Am I doing things through the power of the Holy Spirit? Because very quickly we become self-reliant. When things are said and done in this world, are we quick to point and say, no, it's only by God's power? Because in him we live and we move and we have our being. So there is nothing that I do that God has not given me the strength for. But when we understand that, we understand, though, as Peter is going to teach his fellow Israelites here in verse 17, that Jesus is the promised one, the one whom you rejected, the one whom you, out of your ignorance, did not understand that Jesus is the promised one. Jesus Christ, the one whom you crucified, the one whom God raised from the dead, is the promised one. He is the Messiah. He is the one that was foretold. And now notice what he says, though. Notice the, the conversation he has. He says, and now, but notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, and now you murderers, now you evil, rotten people who did all of this. No, he says, now you brothers. Other texts say, now you fellow, fellow Israelites. I am one of you. It's a familiar term because remember, he is speaking to his fellow Jewish followers of Christ. Also, he's speaking to those who haven't understood that the Messiah was Jesus. And he, in a way, is begging with them, pleading with them, open your eyes to see. And he explains to them why all these things took place. He says, I know that you acted in ignorance as you did also the rulers. That is the rulers as well. Now, in order to act in ignorance, there had, had to have been information that you should have known, but you did not fully grasp it. That's how ignorance comes about. And as I think through and as you walk through the, the Old Testament, you see over and over again the Israelite people were to teach their children, to teach, to point their children to the coming Messiah. And we see that when the Messiah came, they did not see it. But, notice this, we see that they were responsible to see it, but we also see the sovereign hand of God in verse 18. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, and he thus fulfilled. We see that the ignorance was still used by God to bring about God's ultimate end, the suffering of his son, to fulfill the fact that his son must suffer. And we see the responsibility of man. We also see the sovereignty of God in these both beautiful truths, hand in hand. We say in the theological realm that both of these truths, man being responsible and God being sovereign, are like two wings on a plane, and you need both of them in order to stay afloat. And we need to make sure we hold these, that God is sovereign, working even in the ignorance of man to bring about his ultimate end. But notice what Peter says there. He doesn't use the sovereignty of God to get these followers off the hook. What does he say to them? Verse 19, repent, therefore, and turn again that your sins may be blotted out. When we think of the idea of repentance, there is multiple ways that we can think of repentance, and many of them cannot be a very biblical way of thinking about repentance, because in a way, we can run 
to a, uh, the concept of when we see sin and we see how sin separates us from God, we can run to it and go, oh, I am such a lousy person, how bad I am, and just dwell in our own stupor, almost stew in your own juices about how sinful you are. But biblical repentance, notice it didn't say just repent, it was repent and turn. And in this, yes, there is a time we need to understand our depravity and our sin, but we don't stay there and try to make ourselves better on our own strength. What that should do is cause us to cry out and help, and we turn to Christ away from our sin in the power that God has given us to something that is far more beautiful, something that is far more joyous, because as the psalmist writes, at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And we see the treasure of Christ. We see all of that. And we even as we look back at that, we go, wow, that was vile and that was so destructive. And we repent of it and we turn to Christ. And as we turn to him, our hearts beat faster. Our lives start to become more in line with him. And before you know it, that becomes an old way of living. Yet the tension still arises in our sanctification battle. Because there are times we live our lives as if this sin still has power and it hasn't been defeated, and we give it power in our lives. And that is why the continual Christian walk is a walk of daily repentance. It's a one-time thing that happens in our salvation, but it is also a daily repentance, understanding that I'm also repenting of trying to make myself good enough to be accepted before God, and also repenting of the sin that is still in my life, that I have not, by God's grace, given over to him, that I'll continually be doing this walk of repentance my whole life until he returns. But yet repentance is a beautiful thing because as we feast on what God has called us to, and you even see how Peter describes it here in the text, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. To me, as I think of that, I think of the times where my, you're really, really thirsty, and when you drink water, you can actually feel it going down your throat and refreshing you and go, ah. Oh. But what first must be done, though? A forsaking of sin, a turning from it, so the times of refreshing may come. And it goes on in the text to show that even more of this refreshing is going to come when the Lord returns. But notice what Peter then does. He takes his fellow Jewish brothers, and he walks them through. As Rob read for us, he walks them through their history, pointing to Christ, pointing to the Messiah. And as he's walking them through, he's graciously saying, listen, if you reject the Messiah, there's a, a cutting off or removal from the camp aspect in it. You need to embrace the Messiah, Jesus Christ. The Israelites had missed what was in front of them. Because they had been called to recognize the Messiah, and they had been called to be a blessing to the nations around them. And this blessing to the nations around them through the Abrahamic uh, promise that they would be a blessing through them does come through Jesus Christ, but it also came, comes to the Jewish people first, for them to be sharing the gospel, for them to be pointing others to Christ. And it flows through them out into the nations around and this is what we see here. We see Peter having a conversation with his Jewish brothers, saying the Messiah has come. We have been called. We are witnesses to the world around us. And we see this beautiful truth being played out right in front of us. And so I ask myself, are there areas in my own walk that because of my own ignorance, I struggle to see 
literally what's happening in front of me, the power of God. Because Peter here, multiple times, he said, let's show you what just happened several months ago that you missed, and let me show you what was in the scripture that was missed. But here's how I see it in my own life. There are times where I'll sit and I'll be praying that God would be at work, whether it's giving me opportunities to witness, giving me opportunities to encourage others, giving me opportunities for this, and I'm on my knees praying, asking God to work through me that day, and I immediately get up and I start my day, and I am so focused on all the things that I want to get done that day that I'm missing God giving me these opportunities all over the place, and I get through the end of the day, and I go, huh, I didn't see any of the answers to prayer that I was looking for because my eyes are so focused on what I have to do that I have yet to stop and listen to where the Holy Spirit is guiding me. Because if you're like me in the American culture we live in, would an American who's trying to follow after Christ and I put myself in that situation as I'm walking through, I'd probably throw a couple change in there, mutter to myself, isn't there a social program for that individual? And then on my way to the prayer meeting and pray about how, God, will you use me someday to bring glory to you? Or do I pause and I stop and say, wait a minute. What has God called me to faithfully do right now at this moment and to be there completely? Understanding that it is Jesus that these the world needs, understanding that it's through the power of Christ that I'll work because Jesus is the one that has been promised and is Jesus is the one that will give life. This is why I truly believe, back to the prayer analogy, that how many times did Jesus say over and over again, watch and pray, be alert and pray. It wasn't pray and then close your eyes and go about your day. It was pray and then be watchful to the ways I will be answering those prayers. And we miss so many God-given opportunities. Again, Jesus has come. And Jesus is the one who was promised. And Jesus is the one this world needs. And we see that over and over in this text. So my question is, how has the coming of Jesus truly impacted my life? Has it caused me to stop and engage with those who I might not normally engage with? It has called me to see individuals as literally image bearers of Christ. Or am I so busy with my life that I quickly move on? Because there is no middle ground in this. Jesus has come. And when Peter is talking in this sermons, there is no middle ground here. He's saying, Jesus, the one whom you crucified, the one whom God raised from the dead, is alive and at work and in doing wonders in this world. And we're going to see in chapter 4, real quick, you're going to be told, hey, we can't talk like that. Notice again, though, the miracle is never said this didn't happen, never denied. And so as I look in my own heart, I see the miracle that God has done in my own heart that I cannot deny. And am I willing to spread the gospel message and the power of Christ to the world around us? Am I willing to be like Peter and be bold and understanding that, yes, there's going to be consequences of this, but I am going to boldly proclaim the message because he understood the message was from God and the power was from him. May we live like that as well. So the so what? Am I proclaiming the gospel as the real need in the power of Jesus' name, grounded in the promises of God? Am I doing that? 
And am I praying that God would give me the power to do that? Heavenly Father, thank you for your truth. Thank you for the way that you use Peter and John as tools in your hands to bring about, first of all, a healing and then the proclamation of the gospel. Thank you for taking someone who at one moment was denying and next became a bold proclaimer of your truth. Thank you that you can do that for us as well. May we live our lives in light of you. May we live a life that our eyes are open to see the way you're at work. Give us the eyes to see it. Give us the patience to pause and to use the conversations that you have already given us to proclaim your truth. In your son's name we pray, amen. You could stand. I'd like to read out of Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And all God's people said, amen.